everybody. You are listening to Limited Playtime, the board game podcast where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Or the next episode is free. I am Kyle Bolin. And I am Jason Cavallari. And today we're doing a double header. As previously announced, we're talking about two games today, not just one, because we just don't think we've got quite enough to talk about <laughs> with these two games. These are yeah. two games. Yeah, yeah. Um, we played both at Gen Con uh, 2018, uh, and after each one of our playthroughs of these games, we just weren't quite sure how we felt about them necessarily. Uh, yeah. It was kind of mixed, right? It's weird because they they sort of left an impression, but not like a fully formed opinion. <laughs> yeah, it, it's easy to walk away from those games and take a look at them and see how another playthrough or two or three or four could be a completely different experience than the ones that we had. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, and, and I kind of feel like, so we're talking today about Firefly Adventures, uh, specifically Firefly Adventures Brigands and Browncoats. Now it's and then the we're, wanted, uh, wanted Fugitives? Yeah, we had the, the Wanted Fugitives expansion added in, oh, yeah, which okay. adds a couple of characters. Uh, and then also we'll be talking about Aeons and War Eternal, which is a standalone expansion. I guess you can play it as standalone, but you can also mix it in with the base game of Aeons End, the original Aeons End. Um, but we played that at Gen Con as well. And I feel like with Firefly, we just didn't have a very impactful time with it. Uh, no. And so walking away from it, it was like, well, I'd like to try to play it another time or two before I decide whether or not it is good or bad for sure. And then I kind of feel like with Aeon's End, it was like, there's just so much here that yeah. <laughs> it, we can't unpack it all just at once, you know, in, in one yeah. play. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I I think you're exactly right. Like when we walked away from Firefly, I was like, well, that was like every other miniatures game I've ever played. <laughs> there's nothing new here. Mm-hmm. Um, barely and then yeah and then with Aeon's End it was like I didn't even know where to begin I feel like we barely scratched the surface exactly yeah yeah uh, so let's start with Firefly uh, yeah. because it's probably the easier for us to talk about and probably will take less time <laughs> uh, <laughs> Firefly Adventures Brigands and Brown Coats is a game that is published by it, it lists here see I had it down as Gale Force 9 which mm-hmm. they it was their section of the, the player area at Gen Con that we were playing the game in it was with their company, but also it has Battlefront Miniatures Limited listed here under publisher. So I'm assuming they just handle the miniatures part of the game. Oh, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, designed by Aaron Dill, Andrew Haught, uh, John Kovaleski, Sean Swigart. Art by Katie Dillon, Steve Ellis, Charles Woods. Uh, the game is listed as playing between one and five players, and it is a game that is listed as having a 90 to 120 minute play time. It is How long is as- our thing? Our thing was... I think it was... It was like two hours. Two hours, but we didn't really play for two hours. Yeah, we may have finished early. We got out early, and we started a little late. I think it probably took about... I, I don't think it took more than 90 minutes. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe 85, 90 minutes. That, sounds, that feels about right. Yeah. Um, but it's a cooperative, mission-based skirmish game. So there's different scenarios that you can play out in this game, and there's different ways that the game... There's different puzzles, or not puzzles, but like... um challenges in the game that can be addressed in different ways so there's combat there's using tech skills to address tech issues uh and they're supposed to be talking your way out of out of issues or out of situations that you want to get in or out of or whatever that's how you're rolling for charisma or something yeah (laughs) that's how the game was described to us now when we played it we jumped into a scenario where river uh the sort of like 
you know, badass, you know, lady ninja girl uh, with psychic powers had been captured by these, you know, like brigand cowboys or whatever and was being held captive in, I don't know, like it felt like a trailer park. Yeah, uh, well, I think it was some kind of like storage yeah. unit thing because there were a lot of like... I don't know. I thought they were like storage boxes, but they may have just been uh, some kind of cottage. Or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and the rest of us took control of the rest of the crew of the Firefly. Well, the Serenity is the name of the ship in Firefly. There's a Firefly class ship. Uh, and so the rest of us took uh, control of the other crew members. So we had like Simon, the doctor. We had Malcolm Reynolds. We had, uh, oh, what's his name? Who were you, Jason? Do you remember? Uh, I was some African American woman. I haven't. I haven't watched the show, so I don't. I don't really have a connection to any of these characters. <laughs> Zoe. Uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. That rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, and then um, Jane. Jane was the uh, the the guy that that Phil was playing. So he's like the yeah. the heavy combat guy, the guy that was good at melee combat or whatever. Um. So anyway, we took control of those characters, and our job was to break into this place, break River out, and then get to the escape section of the board which is like one side of the board basically and it's done through pretty typical miniature skirmish mechanics so everybody's got their own little like player or like character plate that gives you stats and what you're good at certain characters can do things that other characters just can't do uh and so you know you've got a certain number of movement points and a certain number of dice that you roll or i don't even remember how the combat works to you jason where you you roll a certain number of dice based on your your equipment um it has something to do with the distance too yeah, yeah. Because we had to count the number of spaces, and then that figured somehow into the dice roll. Yeah, yeah. It's all kind of vague now. It's been a couple months now since we played it, but it felt pretty standard as far as a miniatures game or miniatures game combat goes. Which yeah, is, I mean, which there's is, nothing that really stood out to me about it. No, no, not really. Uh, you know, th- there's melee combat and there is ranged combat. That was one thing. Um, and it was definitely harder to hit somebody at a longer range than you know up close. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, the game has what's considered a casual pose for your character or a heroic pose for your character. And you flip your character card based on whether you're in casual or heroic. I believe that's how it worked, right? Yeah. Are they two-sided? Yeah. yeah. And then you've got two miniatures, one for heroic and one for casual. So there's certain actions that are available to you when you're in casual and certain actions that are available to you when you're in heroic. And also, I believe yeah. you just don't get targeted when you're casual. Yeah. And ca- the casual actions tend to be more like of the stealth variety. Yeah. Uh, like trying, like sniping or sneaking places, or yeah, just you know. walking across yeah, or just, the board yeah. while there's a walking fight going nonchalantly on. through this yep. place full of brigands. Just, just playing the Malcolm Reynolds walking simulator while everybody around you plays Firefly Adventures. <laughs> Hiya, fellas! Don't shoot uh-huh, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Out for a stroll. Do, do, do. <laughs> so that's kind of it. I mean, like, I guess the other unique thing was like how the initiative order worked because, like, we had little, yeah. um, like character tokens. That that we would move up on this initiative track. Um, and I don't even remember what it was based on now. Like, does, did each character kind of have, like, their own number and, like, they jumped up that number or something? And uh, God, Do you remember how that remember. worked? No. But we, we would resolve the initiative order on this track. So, like, your token would move up the track based on... I think it was, like, how many actions or ticks of time it took to do the action you chose to do. That's right. It was time-based. Yeah, yep. it was time-based. So, like, if you did something that takes a long time, then your your initiative marker moves up further up the track, and it'll take longer to get to you again, and more people will go in between that action you just took and when you finally get to go again. So Yeah, that's and all the, all the NPCs and enemies that are on the track as well, so they, they yeah. sort of figure into the order. Right, and so you, you, you can kind of look at that initiative track and figure out whether, like, maybe this is a good time to do this now or wait. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I suppose... I suppose and that would at, be the... uh, 
like certain benchmarks there's some like events that right. occurs from a deck of cards yeah there were certain yeah. markers on it that would cause spawns uh for enemies oh, to spawn yeah. at the edge of yeah. the board and everything so so yeah i you know this game has some interesting components i guess i mean like the minis are cool uh like i don't remember the player boards being particularly notable in any way but good or bad um yeah. The one thing that was interesting and unique was that it had a bunch of, like, 3D cardboard uh, terrain, which they were basically, like, the buildings that you could go in and around and everything. Um, yeah, I definitely appreciated that. It sort of, uh, you know, lent itself to envisioning your your player character in a, a real situation. Yeah, it adds a three-dimensionality to the, the, the board, uh, you know, in, in a, and in a miniature skirmish game like this, in a board game miniature skirmish game, you don't often have, like, 3D... Uh, terrain of any sort right i mean you see that all the time in miniatures war games but uh you almost never see that in a board game that's set up this way you know like you go down and play descent or something like that and it's all just little tokens on the on the board to represent terrain it's never 3d yeah Uh, and it sort of made all the little pathways and stuff like really much more interesting so like you know on a printed board you could have like a really narrow hallway but it it doesn't really look that much different from uh, from the like the big open rooms because it's just sort of a bunch of lines on a board but when you add the 3d elements like you get the feeling of you know you're actually hiding in in an alley trying to like Mm -hmm. snipe some dude you're right yeah yeah you know uh because so my experience was i was playing malcolm reynolds and you'd expect that to be really cool because you know he's like you know the captain of the ship and everything uh and i do remember like hiding around a corner of a building and going to from heroic to casual uh so that i could like sneak over towards river right and like when I when I kind of like was hugging that corner of that building, it did feel more like I was hiding behind the corner of a building in a firefight than I think it feels like doing that in a in a two dimensional board setting uh, with you know like other in other skirmish games that I've played. It definitely yeah. evoked that better than those. Yeah. Other than that, how did you enjoy this game, Jason? Um, you know, I'm not. I mean, I feel like you know I might play it again, but I, I'm not. I don't have like a burning desire to play it again. Um. You know, I'd, I'd probably rather play Massive Darkness, which sort of had the similar. same, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, a similar feel for me. Like it's a you know dice chucking, <laughs> go slay some monsters, not terribly challenging kind of uh, kind of game. Yeah, because uh, we were just mowing down those those cowboys or whatever. Yeah, all of you guys were. <laughs> yeah, you had a much different experience, but I think feel like the rest of us were sort of really engaged in the combat, but you certainly were not. <laughs> no, I had a I had a boring time. I I didn't really get to do anything. I, I fired a gun once. I think I missed. And then uh, the people we were playing with had told us that they had played before, and they're like, "Oh, you should go into you know your casual pose, and then you can just kind of saunter across the 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 map and go save River." And so I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll try that out. I'll see how this works." I went into casual pose, and then I never did anything else the entire game. I just walked from you know around and never really got anywhere before anybody else either. So I didn't do anything useful for the entire game. Like <laughs> I literally played a ninety minute game of this skirmish game and did nothing but walk it was literally (laughs) for me the malcolm reynolds walking simulator and it was the most boring time i had at gen con entirely like it was even more boring than um the uh what was that cthulhu game we played that we didn't enjoy evil high priest evil high priest that was at least that was at least like you know like aggressively bad you know like that at least (laughs) made me angry this just made me bored yeah, I mean, I was more involved in the action than you, and I still wasn't terribly enthralled by the game because, mm-hmm. essentially, like my t- there was no choice on my turn. Like, right. the very first turn, I tried to snipe somebody from casual pose. It didn't work, so I got exposed, 
and I was in heroic pose for the rest of the game. And basically all I did was move a couple spaces and shoot at something. Yep. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And and when we were walking away from the game, I was just like, oh, I'm so tired now. And then I think Phil said, well, that was all we did was throw some dice. And normally <laughs> Phil is pretty easy to please. You know, like he tends to enjoy, I think, more than even you and I do. You know, like yeah. we're, we're like the big board game guys that go there and everything. But he's kind of up for everything and enjoys everything. This was one that he kind of felt like just was kind of boring too because all you did was throw the dice and yeah. you know like see how well you hit them or if you hit them or not or whatever and that was kind of it and so there just wasn't enough choice enough options enough variety yeah. in what was happening on that board to make it interesting yeah, now no tactical decisions or anything no not at all and and i think that when we finally kind of like walked away from it it was like well we didn't have a good time but and the reason why we're not trying to pass final judgment on this game is that we had one particular scenario that was very combat heavy uh, we were playing with a couple of people who had played before. And so you take a look at that and you say, well, maybe it's different if you're playing some sort of like, you know, uh, a mission where you're trying to get in and steal some plans and, you know, talk your way in and talk your way out or something like that. Maybe there's some mechanics there that we didn't get to see. Yeah. And we don't know for sure. Right. We'd have to play that game more times than one time to really know for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for what we saw. It didn't seem particularly interesting to me more than any other skirmish game I've played. And and I guess the the best way to say it is it seemed less interesting to me than <laughs> any other skirmish game I've played. Not necessarily yeah. bad in any sort of way, just not particularly interesting. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, that's the kind of thing. Like, I've played a lot of skirmish games. They're kind of my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this one didn't something. really... Yeah, I mean, this one didn't just really just stand out from the crowd. I mean, it, it was fine. I threw some dice, I killed some stuff, and finished the scenario, and and that was that. Um, so I, I would be interested in trying to see if some of those more mechanics uh, that you were talking about earlier, uh, and perhaps in a different scenario. But you know, it's hard to to expound on on the depth yeah. of the game when you been exposed to it in a like learn to play session yeah i like what you said earlier about massive darkness being a good alternative to this game because i feel like it it, it's the same sort of experience like going in and you know moving some guys around on a board checking some dice killing some monsters but it's a much faster paced much more rewarding experience from turn to turn yeah and by the way if you're just joining us for this episode we did an episode on massive darkness yeah so (laughs) it's called dice chucking in the darkness Mm -hmm. i forget what number it is yeah it's fine (laughs) go find it Google's your friend. Yep. Okay, let's move back to Aeon's End War Eternal. Aeon's End War Eternal is published by Action Phase Games and Indie Board and Cards. Boards and Cards. Uh, It is designed by Kevin Riley, and the art is by Gong Studios, Stephanie Gustafson, Scott Hartman, and Daniel Solis. Aeon's End War Eternal is a deck-building game. (laughs) Oh, deck-building games. Yeah, that's a bad (laughs) word, right? It's a dirty word these days. Uh, Um, Unless it's clank. (laughs) <laughs> unless it's clank yeah and i feel like maybe this one maybe 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 this this is a it's a it's one to four player so it is a co-op game that can be played single player like almost any co-op game right uh it has a playing time listed as 60 minutes uh which we played longer than that i think actually yeah, we did. yeah. uh but, but we it, were also like learning how to play the game so it's- yeah so this, the deck building in this game works a lot like Dominion, where you've got a certain pre-selected piles of cards out that you'll be choosing cards from to build your deck up with. 
uh, as opposed to like Star Realms or Clank, where you create sort of like a randomized market every turn and then choose your cards from that, right? It's it's yeah. going to be the same nine cards every single turn that you have the opportunity to build your deck up. But basically, uh, do you want to describe this one or do you want me to? No, you go ahead. Okay. I, mean, I, I remember like bits and pieces of it. Okay, but... so there's like a, I think it's called a nemesis, is like the big bad that you're fighting in this game collectively. Um, and everybody is hanging out in a town called Gravehold, which is like the last bastion of humanity. And you're trying to basically like protect Gravehold from this nemesis because the nemesis is coming to destroy it Godzilla style or something, uh, while simultaneously trying to take down the nemesis and all of his little minions. And the way it works is basically you're just playing Dominion, the game, in effort to try to tick down the life points of the the big bad, the nemesis, and preventing him from ticking down the life points of Graveholt and your characters as you do so. Uh, and you do that by drafting more gems which give you aether which is like the currency in the game and then you use that aether to draft cards more cards that can either add to more currency or can give you spells and you know um like equipment i think stuff like that right yeah. maybe they call them relics or something like that and that makes your character stronger right it gives you stronger abilities stronger attacks allowing you to you've got a power curve through this game going upwards that allows you to hit back harder at the uh, the the minions and the big bad, the nemesis, yeah. uh, as well as like try to like you know heal your characters or keep them alive or protect them or whatever. Um, and it has kind of a unique mechanic where each character has a certain number of spell slots, basically. Um, what they call them rifts or something. Uh, that's, I was I was like I was thinking like there are some like portals involved or something. Yeah, <laughs> why am I blanking on that? They're called breaches. Um, maybe it'll come to me later, but yeah, it's essentially something akin to Rift or something like that. Like, the idea is that these monsters have come through these little portals, breaches, and that you have then somehow adapted them to allow yourself to cast spells. Um, and so when you start out, you've got some number of them that are locked and some number of them that are open. And so the way that you cast spells is that you can just put them into your open spell slots, or you can pay a certain number of Aether to put them into the locked spell slots. And then also, you mark the locked spell slots with these little square cards that have like uh, like a clockwise or counterclockwise arrow going around. And there's four sides to them, and each side is like a different cost. So as you work... Oh, it's focus. That's what it's Yeah, like. you can focus the breaches, breach, breach, breaches, the breaches, whatever it's called. <laughs> the rift or whatever. Like. Yeah, the rift thing, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, which twists the card, which then allows you to simultaneously put a spell into that, and you're also getting it one step closer to being an open slot, right? And I think the higher level slots that you unlock also have like certain bonuses, like bonuses to damage and stuff like that. Um, and so as you play the game, you're drafting cards, building up your deck, and then simultaneously trying to improve your character by opening up those slots pushing those spells into those slots, and then once you've got a spell that's been in a slot for a turn, or before your turn has come, you can then cast that spell against the enemies. Um, yeah. You can also, I believe that you can allow other people, you can focus other people's Breaches. rifts or whatever they are as well, uh, which allows them to put spells into slots. So we had like one character that was really assisting the rest of us more than he was like doing his own damage and his yeah. own attacks and stuff like that. He was more of a support character. And so like he was doing a lot of like allowing me to put a spell into a slot because I had a little bit more of a high DPS character than he did. Um, so, I mean, it, it, there was an interesting sort of like, you know, team dynamic in that way uh, that certain characters had certain strengths and, and they could kind of like interact in a way that was interesting and, and fun, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, 
the I don't know the thing that sort of left the biggest impression on me was that first of all again this the same sort of caveats apply is like you know we played this in a learn to play kind of setting Mm -hmm. it was a particular scenario and from what I understand the guy that was running it said that they had taken out some of the mechanics or the more um I don't know, the, the more esoteric cards or something, just so that we had more of a streamlined playing experience. It was like more simple or something. Yeah, straightforward. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, we t- I feel like it's it, it's one of those games, kind of like Evil High Priest, where I didn't feel like we were playing particularly badly, but we still got our asses handed to us. I think that that's an understatement. <laughs> we got embarrassingly crushed. Now, the conversation around the table with the other groups that were playing it was that everybody was doing real, real bad. And <laughs> and the guy that was running the game was telling us that, like, I don't think, like, I think he said, like, one group almost beat the scenario or something almost like that. Yeah. And so, like, whatever, however they had this thing set up, it was obviously extremely difficult. And I believe that the game is supposed to be pretty difficult anyway, right? Yeah. Um, there's rules in the game that allow you to, like, you know, adjust the health of the town or the health of the nemesis and every like, to make it an easier game or whatever. So, I mean, like, if you bought the game, you could always adjust it, you know, accordingly to make it a little bit less punishing or a little easier, a little bit easier mm-hmm. of a goal to attain or whatever. Uh, and that's probably what I would do if I bought this game and brought it home. I mean, like, you know, like any other co-op game, you want to have fun with it and you want to try to set yourself a goal that you can hopefully achieve so that you don't completely burn out on the game. Right. Um, but I mean, anyway. I feel that, that's sort of the thing with this game is like, I unlike Evil High Priest where like we played and I had like zero fun. Uh, it was punishingly difficult and I had zero fun. Uh, this game I had, it was, it was difficult and, but I still feel like I had like a modicum of fun and I don't know if it's because it's a cooperative game as opposed to a competitive game. Yeah. Um, See, I felt like we like, all failed. It wasn't like yeah. somebody crushed us. It was like we all just lost. <laughs> it, it, there was definitely a learning curve with this game because I felt like for the first, like, I'll say 60% of the game, I wasn't having a blast. And it, I think a lot of it was like we were really struggling to get all the mechanics down. We were learning the game. Uh, mm-hmm. We realized that we had made a couple big mistakes early on that may have benefited the nemesis, I believe. Um, and Yeah, I can't, I can't remember specifically now, but... Um, you know, we were just like, oh, well, whatever. You know, like, it's a co-op game. It's a learning game. Uh, and then as we started to learn the game and we started to really kind of interact with each other and our, our characters started to get built up so that they were a little bit more powerful and we could do more fun, interesting things that felt satisfying, for that next 20%, I was like, this is kind of cool. I'm starting to enjoy this. I'm starting to see the loop and I'm starting to see how that's satisfying. And then the last 20% was just us getting completely, like, just hammered into the ground by this yeah. monster, you know? Um, I mean, I feel like part of that also was like how the game works because the so turn order is determined by basically pulling cards. It's the only random thing deck. in the game, actually. Yeah. And so, you know, you could end up with a round where like the monster goes like four times in a row and like you guys, the players don't get to do anything until it's done like annihilating you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Which, that was, I don't that... think that ha- that particularly happened, but we did have a couple of turns where like the monster went several times in a row. And that really sort of put it yeah, at a disadvantage. Each, each round, he only goes twice, you know, and each player goes once, I believe. But if you have the monster end up, like, going twice at the end of a round and then twice at the beginning of a round, sort of like, you know, how you can have two epidemics back-to-back in Pandemic if they just yeah. happen to lay right, uh, then it's pretty pretty punishing because you don't have any way to mitigate what happens, you know, with all those cards be- between his attacks or, you know, yeah. like his power-ups or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's... but. You mentioning the the turn order, it's it's probably a good time to mention that everything else in the game is completely ordered. So you don't, unlike other deck builders, you don't like shuffle your cards ever. You build the deck and then you draw in the in the order that you have built the deck. 
yeah. and you also do the same with your discard pile. So like when you put like three cards into the discard pile, you can choose whatever order you want to put those three cards in so that you know which card is going to get pulled earliest. So, you know, if you know that you're going to be drawing five cards next round, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, if you've got four cards already in discard and you're putting three in and you want to make sure you've got this one card, you want to make sure that one's the first one you put in because it'll be the fifth card that you draw on the next turn. Uh, so that's sort of an interesting thing that this game does that other deck builders do not do, is it allows you to plan ahead for real. Because in other deck builders, you say, well, I really hope I get these two cards together because they have a good combo. <laughs> but like we talked about in previous episodes, that almost never happens, right? Right, yeah. But in this particular game, you can make it happen. You have control over that. You may not be able to happen, you may not be able to make it happen the next turn that you have, but you'll be able to if you can count cards well enough. Uh, you can make it happen within a turn or two, right? Yeah, and I feel like by the end of that that scenario that we were playing, we kind of started to understand that, and uh, we were getting out some like really heavy damage turns, but it was sort of like too little, too late. Exactly. Yeah, we had just spent too much of the game just getting completely destroyed by this thing and just kind of fumbling along, yeah. uh, not really understanding how to play the games ideally. So this is a game that I would be very interested in playing again. I'm not yeah, me too. sure I would jump out and like buy it necessarily just to play it again but i'd love to like you know jason i'd love like if we got together again to like go to a game store that has it in their library and sit down and play it a time or two uh because it's one that i've kind of had my eye on for a while you know because my wife and i like co-ops um you know uh todd who was on the spirit island episode with me a while ago he really likes co-ops as well and so when we get together we often play co-ops uh so i have a very big co-op library and this is one that i've considered getting before but i just wasn't sure if it was something i was going to appreciate because i do have this sort of like sour taste in my mouth from too much dominion (laughs) (laughs) yeah same thing like i you know we've talked about our opinions on deck builders before and uh, Mm -hmm. i'm not you know sort of automatically ready to jump into another one but this one seemed interesting enough uh, to me that I would definitely like to play it, you know, a, a time or two more. Me too. Yeah, I feel like I'm more positive than negative on this one and on on Firefly Adventures, Brigands and Brigands and Bandits or whatever. Brown coats. Brown coats. Brigands and Brown coats. I'm more negative than positive. If somebody was begging me to play that game again, I would do it. It wasn't like, you know, it didn't make me angry or anything. Um, right, yeah. But I, you know, I definitely want to have a, a very strong beer while we're playing. <laughs> stiff stiff mug of beer <laughs> anything else you want to say about these games jason i don't think so but you know kyle i i think i hear that sultry saxophone coming in the it's distance. coming yeah i know that's why i'm asking <laughs> if you have any final thoughts okay if people would like to get a hold of us and they would like to talk to us about how firefly is a wonderful show deserving of a much more interesting miniatures game how would they do so well, if you want to talk about Firefly, you can send us an email. It's LPT the podcast, all one word at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Limited Playtime, or you can go to the website limitedplaytime.com, which will reroute you to the amazer.com, which is where we are currently hosted. We were just talking about how probably using the email would be the best way to get a hold of us. Yeah, usually. I mean, Twitter is fine too. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, but, I feel like, uh, you know, I sit down and I'm like, hey, do we have any emails today? And last time we did. And it was like, hey, let's read the email. Um, we would like to read more emails. So please, if you've got any questions, comments, or funny anecdotes, let us know. Please. Yeah. Next week. <laughs> please, we beg you. <laughs> mm, we like we like emails. We like getting mail. It's just like when I go to my mailbox and I'm hoping that I've got some correspondence from somebody and that hasn't happened since the 1980s. <laughs> That's really sad. I know. <laughs> Anyway, next week we're going to be talking about Flashpoint Fire Rescue. It's a co-op game involving firemans. <laughs> you are the, the fireman. Fire. Or are you a dog? Perhaps you are a fire dog. 
Uh, and so we'll be here next week uh, on Sunday with uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, a co-op game very much like Pandemic. I'm going to say that right up front right now. <laughs> kind of similar. Don't give the game away. Okay. Well, I mean, we still get to talk about how it plays and, you know, why it's good or bad. What's good? <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up here. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in one week. Later. Bye. Breaches!